Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It is now August 8th, 2023, and I'd really like to talk about how awesome the Orioles did while I was on vacation in Hawaii, because it was awesome. But unfortunately, there are more pressing matters. As you may have already seen by now, the website Awful Announcing reported on Monday that Mass and broadcaster Kevin Brown is currently suspended. The Athletics' Brittany Giroli, herself a former Orioles beat reporter, followed up and confirmed that report. According to both of these reports, at the root of Brown's suspension was something he said when the Orioles were playing the Rays in July, namely that the Orioles have won more games this year at the Trop than they had won in the three previous seasons. In the clip that Awful Announcing shared on Twitter and in its article, this information from Brown was basically verbally summarizing an on-screen mass and graphic to the same effect. It's absolutely absurd that there could possibly be a suspension over this, but Giroli's report noted the fact was basically right out of the team's game notes for that day, which are provided by the team's public relations department. Giroli wrote, quote, Despite it being in the game notes, ownership took exception to Brown pointing it out, sources said, believing it made them sound cheap. End quote. Also in Giroli's report is a note about something that was alluded to by the awful announcing article, namely that Orioles ownership has directed this year that broadcasters, TV and radio must wear team apparel while on air and that a different unnamed broadcaster was off the air during the Philly series that immediately followed the Rays, leading to Kevin Brown filling in on the radio, even though he was apparently bounced off of TV, due to violating this apparent policy. Uh, Giroli's article also stated that some broadcasters have been reprimanded for mentioning players who are not on the Orioles anymore, like... What the heck is that even about? You know, I don't even understand. It's so much like just leaves me feeling flabbergasted. It's hard to even begin to approach it. It's so absurdly stupid. Now, for one sort of opposing viewpoint, uh, another Orioles beat writer, the Baltimore Banners, Andy Kostka, did receive a comment from what he said was a senior Orioles official. And that senior Orioles official told Kostka, Quote, we don't comment on employment decisions. However, Kevin Brown will be back with us in the near future. End quote. The team did not comment specifically about the awful announcing report to Andy Koska. So my opinion is if there was no suspension, as they want everyone to believe from what they said to Koska, I think that Orioles official, whoever they are, would have declined the report and said there was no suspension rather than declining to comment and just saying something evasive. And, you know, none of this is at all hard to believe based on the John Angelos behavior earlier this season where he blustered to Orioles reporters about how it was inappropriate for them to ask questions about the team on the Martin Luther King Jr. Day press conference about that he called, that Angelos himself called, and how he would um, he would show the financial information to Orioles reporters at a later date, which he followed up on and re-promised during spring training. He said he would do it by the end of spring training. He never did. You know, it's just, you can believe a lot of things after the 
effective owner of the team basically gets up on two occasions and says things that ultimately prove to be untrue. So, I mean, this particular fiasco, it just has John Angelo's fingerprints all over it. There's no problem believing that, right? He just seems like the kind of person who would get mad about something like all of this. And, you know, if we want to venture into the realm of psychology or maybe even psychoanalysis, one might contemplate the widely reported fact that John, son of locally famous lawyer Peter, never passed the bar exam. And now that John Angelos is at the helm of the baseball franchise his father purchased, that he controls by virtue of being born first, he is apparently picking a fight with a talented broadcaster over the broadcaster supposedly being too negative about the team. I mean, that is almost directly the John Miller story from the 1990s with Peter Angelos, right? So, you know, what are, what can you say, I guess, um, other than it sure feels familiar? And I uh, I certainly hope it does not continue to feel familiar because if John Angelos drives Kevin Brown out of being an Orioles broadcaster, then shame on him. He has proven he's beyond shame by the way he's behaved previously, but shame on him nonetheless. You know, I just want to say I have no information about what's really going on or when it will be resolved. I just hope that whatever senior Orioles official quoted by Casca is ultimately more Angel- uh, more honest than Angelos' spring training claims to reporters about letting them view the team's financial information. I also hope that he forgives me for bringing all of this up on International Cat Day, which is August the 8th, if the search engine is telling me the truth. You know, the general idea of a broadcaster being suspended for being quote-unquote too negative, air quotes, scare quotes, as big as you can manage them, it's a joke as it is, right? Just, you know, they got to say what's happening, not, and if it sucks, then they need to politely say that it sucks. But even without considering that, like the specifics of what Kevin Brown said, it was so harmless. It wasn't even terribly critical. Uh, If anything, it was drawing a positive comparison for the 2023 Orioles by observing how much better things have gotten. And he was basically just reading stuff off of the screen that the mass and production probably also got out of the Orioles game notes. I mean, that just makes this whole situation even more of a joke. Like, it's already a joke, but that just makes it even, even more of a joke. So just like, it is long past time for John Angelos to sign the long-term Camden Yards lease, shut up, and go back to his pet project, finding concerts for artists who were already venerable 30 years ago. Now, as long as I'm on the subject of problems where an Angelos appears to be at the root, uh, while I was checking Twitter during my vacation to Hawaii, uh, uh, over the course of the whole week, because it, it carried on beyond just the Sunday night baseball broadcast on ESPN, where it apparently came up, uh, I saw a number of people observing something, and I didn't hear them remark directly myself, but from what I gather... ESPN reporter Buster Olney showed up on that broadcast and was once again banging his drum to complain about the Orioles letting Adley Rutschman use the jersey number of 35, which, as you may recall, had also been used in his time with the Orioles by now Hall of Famer Mike Mussina. This particular topic has been a multi-year hobby horse for Olney, who I think seems to have his own axe to grind with the ailing Peter Angelos that dates back to the 1990s. You know, I myself spent a while on Camden Chat having a recurring bit uh, bringing up how long it had been. 
after Mucina's election to the Hall of Fame without the Orioles, announcing the jersey retirement and statue pairing for the franchise's greatest pitcher other than Jim Palmer. And really, I would probably still be doing that bit today, except uh, when it came time to have no baseball happening because of the COVID pandemic. It just felt like that was a stupid bit to continue. So I let that one go, but I I still find it annoying. And, you know, when I was banging the drum two times a week, writing bird droppings on Camden chat, there were people in the comments on my site who didn't like to hear this because they're still mad about Mike Mussina signing with the Yankees. You know, I get it. It remains a bummer that the greatest Orioles pitcher of my lifetime then went and signed with the Yankees. But, you know, that's not Mucina's fault. It's uh, It was Peter Angelos' fault for not being willing to pay market price for a great pitcher. But anyway, like, as far as the jersey number thing, it, it has been stated, including by Dan Connolly, recently of The Athletic, who is himself not uh, recently known for being a fan of the Angelos clan. Although on this occasion, it seems like he is accepting the ultimately Angelos-directed explanation. As Connolly has said on multiple occasions that the team's policy is only due to only to do the retirement and the statue for players who are in the Hall of Fame as the Orioles. So Mucina, of course, declined to have any logo on his Hall of Fame cap, opting not to choose between the Orioles, with whom he spent 10 seasons, and the Yankees, with whom he spent eight. So that was that, right? Well, you know, if that is really the policy, I think that is stupid. It's just dumb. I think that it made perfect sense to say that was the policy about 10 years ago because, you know, it explained, it does explain why the Orioles say didn't do the whole treatment of that stuff for like Paul Blair or Boo Powell or Dave McNally or something. It also explains why they didn't do it for like Hoyt Wilhelm or Luis Aparicio, each of whom played five years of their eventual Hall of Fame careers here in Baltimore. But like the rule is not etched in stone. It was not handed down by a divine being on a tablet that must be followed forever. It was made up by people who can and should change their minds when facing new circumstances that they may not have imagined when they first set the rule. You know, the Orioles, they should be absolutely rushing to drape themselves all over the great career of Mucina and claim Mucina as part of the team's storied history because... Things haven't been too much uh, fun in terms of Orioles getting Hall of Famers in the 21st century. And, you know, unless somehow someone who's pretty young on the team right now uh, eventually is elected in like 20 years, we're not going to get one until like 2040 or later. So, you know, have some freaking fun with the fact that a great Oriole has made it to the Hall of Fame. But because Mike Mucina, he spent more of his career in Baltimore. He had his greatest stretches of pitching with the Orioles. The fact that they have not done the retirement treatment, the statue treatment for Mucina, I think it's just absurd. It is dumb. Now, having said all of that, Adley Rutschman is amazing. He can have 35 for as long as that's the number he wants. So buzz off, Buster Olney, and go find something else to complain about. I think the Kevin Brown suspension is perfect for you. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. All right, so let's dip into the mailbag. Today's message comes from listener Ty, who says, 
Did the Orioles perhaps overpay for Jack Flaherty to convince him to sign in the offseason to an Eduardo Rodriguez-type contract with a player opt-out after a season or two? And Ty's reasoning was the contract would allow Elias to make a qualifying offer and possibly collect a draft pick for Flaherty if he opts out of the contract after, say, the 2024 or 2025 season. We know Mike Elias has a pretty solid track record picking in the 30s or 40s. And additionally, 2024 and 2025 look like win now seasons. So, Ty, thank you for writing in. And I will just say, for starters, I I feel like fans of all stripes like to spin out what amount to me like galaxy brain theories about why teams do stuff. And I'm not immune to this. Sometimes I sit around thinking, well, what is the real reason why so-and-so is being done? There has to be something I don't comprehend that the team does that's why they're doing it. And, you know, I think... Much more often than not, simpler explanations are best. And so I don't think the Orioles had any idea in acquiring Flaherty behind wanting Flaherty on the team for the rest of the season. I think that they got Jack Flaherty or, you know, specifically a player who's only controlled through 2023 because they didn't want to pay a higher prospect price to get either a better pitcher, or perhaps a more name-brand pitcher, like Justin Verlander, who honestly is who I was hoping the Orioles would trade for. I have no idea how realistic that was. I don't know if Justin Verlander would have approved a trade here, as that had to be done. Uh, I also think probably the Orioles didn't want to pay the prospect price to get someone with team control beyond 2023. So, like, I'm honestly not even sure that they would be willing to offer Jack Flaherty a contract with enough guaranteed money that he would want to take it without even considering putting an opt-out in there, which I'm also not sure that the Orioles would be willing to offer. And about the trade specifically, I don't even know that I would say the Orioles overpaid for Flaherty. They didn't give up what is, to me, a big prospect. You know, Cesar Prieto, although he's a contact-oriented infielder um, who's got pretty good results in the high minors now, um, you know, he was batting over 327 games with Norfolk this year after batting 364 in 58 games with Double A Bowie. So, sure, that's exciting, but guys who can't hit for much power, as it seems like Prieto cannot. He's got um, six home runs across 378 plate appearances uh, this season. That is not a lot of power to speak of. And I think he's much more likely to flame out than become the next like Luisa Rice, right? Then you've got pitcher Zach Showalter, who's really a lottery ticket. He's a late round pick who's a long way away from maybe being something. And the third player in the trade, Drew Rahm, uh, to me, honestly, he was just like thrown in to even out the 40-man math. I think there's a decent chance Rom might have even been designated for assignment to make room for Jack Flaherty on the 40-man roster. So maybe to the Orioles, giving up Rom was not even like giving up anything. The command that was Rom's calling card at lower levels, especially the very low levels in the minors, it's been steadily eroding and really fled this season at AAA Norfolk. He had a 4.8 walks per nine innings before the trade, 1.698 whip, walks and hits per innings pitched. You know, guys are hitting him, and it's not going well. So, I mean, yes, 
it is possible that a uh, even out the 40-man trade throw-in can burn a team. See Yenier Cano coming from the Twins to the Orioles last year. That has turned out to burn the Twins pretty hard. I think they were probably going to end up getting rid of him, and that's why they just threw him in the Jorge Lopez trade to even out the 40-man roster math. You know, but I'm not going to lose any sleep for a while wondering if Drew Rum becomes the next Jake Arrieta. Uh, oops, don't get mad at me, John Angelos, for bringing up a former Orioles player. But, you know, if you want to cut me a six-figure check every 12 months, I will never do it again. So thank you again for writing, Ty. Anyone else, if you have a question for a future episode, feedback you'd like to share with me about the show, or just an Orioles opinion you would like to get off your chest, you can write to camdencastpod at gmail.com. So for a little bit more about the, the Jack Flaherty trade, you know, I was far enough away that I was not closely following the lead-in to the trade deadline. You know, I was interested because I love the Orioles, and that does not change by my being six hours behind the East Coast on Hawaiian time, but I was really feeling none of the apprehension that I was occasionally scrolling and seeing on Twitter about the days ticking past, the hours ticking past, and the Orioles not having traded for anyone yet other than Shintaro Fujinami. And, you know, specifically as the trade deadline struck, uh, I was enjoying shave ice at the southernmost point in the United States. It is not a scene that feeds angst about your favorite baseball team, right? But having gotten home with some time to think about the Flaherty trade, I feel like it really fits in a lot with the Mike Elias pattern of trades for this season. You know, the other ones, of course, the trades for Cole Irvin before the season, and then earlier uh, in the month of July, the Orioles acquiring Shintaro Fujinami. In those trades, Mike Elias was kind of acquiring guys with superficially unexciting results for a relatively low cost. So Flaherty at the time of the trade had a 4.43 ERA, which running that through the park and league adjusted ringer actually comes out at a 97 ERA plus, which is to say a 3% below league average pitcher uh, for was what Flaherty had been at the time of the trade. Um, you know, guys who had better results this year would have cost more than that. And the Orioles ultimately didn't, didn't go for that. I feel like maybe the Orioles are banking that they can get better out of Flaherty than St. Louis was this year. The Cardinals have had what has kind of been um, really some widely remarked on substantial regression across nearly the entirety of their pitching staff. Some people have linked this to catcher Yadier Molina retiring after last season as if there was some something special with him that was there, and now that he's gone, it's not. I don't, I don't know. I don't follow the Cardinals close enough to really have an opinion about whether that's the exact reason, but it is true that Cardinals pitchers have taken a step back this year, and maybe they're, whatever it is, get him out of that environment in St. Louis, and maybe Flaherty is going to end up doing better. You know, it is hard to complain about his first start in an Orioles uniform, gave up one run in six innings. I think if all goes well, he's got 10 more regular season starts with the Orioles. Um, I liked that they got some kind of quality pitcher, how how quality is to be determined. But I think getting Flaherty makes it less likely that, say, the Orioles end up calling on uh, Bruce Zimmerman in August or September. And, 
you know, that's a plus. I think really the only risk of the trade is that they have gotten Flaherty and then he sucks and does not help the 2023 Orioles win the American League East and get a buy through the wild card round of the playoffs. That's the risk. Uh, there's not a whole lot of risk, I think, that the Orioles will immediately miss Cesar Prieto or Drew Rahm or Zach Showalter, who maybe in the long run they will miss. But if the Orioles have good things happen for the rest of 2023, I don't think we will be uh, gnashing and wailing our teeth too much about what does or doesn't happen with Zach Showalter from like, 2025 to 2030. You know, uh, I, I do hope that the months of August, September, and even October don't play out in such a way to cause us regret that the Orioles did not get another reliever besides Fujinami at the deadline, which I still think maybe they needed to do. Um, I think maybe it will turn out they needed to get a better starting pitcher than Flaherty. We'll see. But for now, the Orioles, you know, they're 70 and 42. The Orioles have the American League's best record, and they are in first place, baby, with a three-game lead over the Rays. It is hard to complain about that. And, you know, we'll see where it goes from here, right? There's another tough series on tap, three games against the Astros. Uh, the Houston offense is down pretty hard this year. They've got a, only a 735 team OPS versus a 743 OPS for the Orioles, so uh, the Orioles actually have gotten better results a little bit with their hitters versus uh, versus Houston. Now, where Houston is succeeding and why they are where they are, they've got a team ERA of 3.78, which is best in the American League. So, Orioles hitters, good luck for the next three games. Uh, please, at a minimum, continue the haven't-been-swept streak. And if you can find a way to win two out of three, hey, we're all going to be partying pretty good. Hopefully, uh, Kevin Brown will be back on Masson and can join the party. That's all that I've got for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a rating or review and tell an Orioles fan in your life about the show. In ordinary circumstances, new episodes are every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. Since I'm only recording for Tuesday, this week I'm going to skip ahead to Friday, so the next episode will be in your ears on the morning of August 11th. In between now and then, you can leave a comment for me on camdenchat.com. You will find me in the comments there under the name Eat More SK. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's.